How are we doing? I am good. I'm so glad you guys fared the ice and fog this morning. I had chains on up until I got to the highway, and I stopped on the on-ramp to take the chains off, and I stepped out on that pavement and was like, whoa. I mean, it was like a skating rink. Crazy. And it's deceiving, too, because you don't even, you don't even really notice. Well, today we are continuing our message series, Who Do You Say I Am?, This is the greatest and most important question that you and I will ever answer because it's impossible to be wrong about Jesus and to be right with God. And to help us answer this question, we are exploring the seven I am statements of Jesus that are found in the book of John. And they all point to who he is. And in week one, we looked at the first I am statement. I am the bread of life. He is the living bread that came down from heaven to satisfy the spiritual hunger that we all have. And uh, just like you and I need physical food to survive physically, we need spiritual food to survive spiritually. And that food is the bread of life. That's him. Now, last week we looked at the second I am statement, and it was, I am the light of the world. Without light in the world, everything eventually dies. Light is essential for life. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. Light only produces what is good and right and true, which means that darkness only produces what is bad, wrong, and false. You and I have to make sure that the light that we think we have is actually light and not darkness, because Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, and Jesus is the light of the world. But if we want him to be the light of our world, then we must follow him. Light is meant to be followed. It isn't meant for us to avoid, nor is it meant for us to ignore. To be children of light, we must walk in the light. So that means we must follow him. We must follow Jesus. And when we do, his light in us makes us the light of the world. But there's two extremes that we've got to avoid that we talked about last week. One is, is that we don't try to hide the light, and then we don't try to be the light. We're not made to be the light. We were made to reflect his light and bring him glory. And in the darkest valleys in life, light is what can give us hope. And Jesus wants to give us that hope because he is the light of the world. But we've got to follow him. Following him is the only way to receive the light that leads to life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much that you are the bread of life, that you are the light of the world. And today we're going to talk about how you're, the, you're also the door. Jesus, you're so much and more, and we just love you and want to know you more. And so we invite you here, Jesus. Open our hearts so we can hear directly from you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So today we're going to look at Jesus' third I am statement, and it comes from uh, John chapter 10. But before we do, we've got to first understand what was going on that led up to this statement. What was happening? And in John chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man on the Sabbath. If you ever ever go through the Gospels and you look at how many times Jesus did a miracle or did something, and it was always on the Sabbath, and it was almost like he's just pointing at those Pharisees, right? I love that. I was reading this to my son last night, and he says, oh, he did it on the Sabbath again. I said, yes, he did. 
It was a miracle that pointed to him being the light of the world. That's what this whole thing was about when he healed this blind man. And the Pharisees were so caught up in their own rigid legalism for how things are supposed to be according to all their doctrines that they totally missed the significance of this miracle. So they interrogate this blind man. And um, this blind man who Jesus had healed. And there's this great exchange between the Pharisees and the blind man. And it was awesome to read because the blind man totally schooled these Pharisees. You can see it when you read it in John chapter 9. I love that. They didn't like it, though. They didn't like it, in fact, so much that they threw this blind man out of the synagogue. Later, Jesus catches up with the blind man, and he says this. He says, I have come into the world to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they can see that they're blind. And the Pharisees, they overheard this, and they weren't happy about it at all. They were offended because they thought Jesus was calling them blind. And in fact, he was. They were spiritually blind because they couldn't see past their own self-righteousness. How often do you and I do that? We have this self-righteousness about us, that pride that kind of creeps up at times, and we think, you know, we're better than this or we're better than that. That blinds us if we're not careful. They had the light of the world standing right in front of them, and they were so blind they couldn't even see it. That was all in chapter 9, and now we come to chapter 10, and Jesus is still talking to the same Pharisees. Some of you know that the original Bible manuscripts did not have chapter or verse numbers to break up the text. That wasn't there. That was added later. So chapter 10 is just a continuation of the same dialogue that was going on in chapter 9. And so these Pharisees were the same audience that Jesus was speaking to when he says this beginning in John chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things that he spoke to them. So here's the connection between chapter 9 and 10 in John. The Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, should have been the faithful shepherds of God's flock, of God's people. But they were not. They had failed. In fact, they were false shepherds. They are who Jesus is referring to as thieves and robbers. Because Jesus is the true shepherd. Now, it was very common in those days to see sheep and shepherds all over the countryside. That was a way of life back then. So Jesus, using this terminology here as he's sharing this illustration, should not have been foreign to the Pharisees. Now, there are two primary types of sheep pens that they had in those days. And uh, the one that Jesus describes in this, this text here, in these verses, is a sheep pen that was in a village setting. It was actually an enclosure for the sheep, and it had a physical door on it. Oftentimes, shepherds would mingle their flocks, and they'd put them in the same sheep pen at night. And then there was some sort of doorkeeper or an under-shepherd who would have to go stand guard at that to make sure no predators came in and no one came up the wrong way and tried to climb in like a thief or a robber 
And when the shepherd would come to get his flock from the sheepfold in the morning to take them out to graze in the countryside, all he would have to do is walk through the door, call to the sheep, and the sheep would come follow him. They recognized their shepherd's voice, and they would follow him out through the door and out into the pasture. And so the sheep from different flocks would all be mingled together in this sheepfold, but as soon as they heard their shepherd's voice, they separated from the group, and they followed their shepherd. Now, the Pharisees did not understand what Jesus was saying in this illustration. They didn't get it. And so Jesus goes a little bit deeper. He goes deeper here, beginning in in, uh, verse 7. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, in verses 1 through 6 that we read just a bit ago, the sheepfold that we were talking about was the sheepfold that was in a village setting. It had a physical door. Now we're shifting gears here, and we're talking about the other kind of sheep pen that Jesus is referring to here. And um, the one he's referring to here is the one that's in a countryside. It's the one out in the country, not in the village. And there's a huge difference. Shepherds would construct some sort of an enclosure, and it was built with stone walls. It might have looked something like this. This is an artist's rendering of it. But what shepherds would do is they would take the rocks and they would stack them uh, high enough to build a wall. And sometimes they'd be in the shape of a circle. Sometimes they'd be in the shape of a rectangle like you see depicted here. But the difference is in the countryside, they didn't have a door on it. All they had was a narrow opening. And so what would happen is, is that you'd, you'd see the shepherd and he would lead his sheep into the enclosure to allow them to, be, to rest and to keep them safe. And then the shepherd what he would do is he would lie across the front of the narrow opening. And he would do this to guard his sheep. So the shepherd would literally be the door to the sheep pen. And he would protect his sheep from any predators getting in. And he did this so that nothing could get in and nothing could get out without going through him. So that's the image we get when Jesus says, I am the door. You and I are like sheep. He is the shepherd who serves as the door to eternal life. Now, there is only one door. There is only one door. There is no other door. We can't receive salvation by any other means than through Jesus. He is the door to eternal life. This is what separates Christianity from all other religions in the world. Some may think that Muhammad is a door. Some might think that Buddha is a door. Some might think that Mother Nature is a door. Or even that all religions lead to God and that there are many doors to get to Him. Let me tell you, this is a lie from hell. Any person who teaches or propagates this is a liar. And not only that, they're a thief and they're a robber. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is the door, the only door. And we have to actually walk through this door by faith to have eternal life. We've got to beware. We've got to beware of the feel-good theology that is widespread across the world today that would say otherwise. 
Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, that we are to beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. We have to beware. That means you and I have to know the word of God. Jesus is the door, and he desires for everyone to come through him. So if we look at verse 9 of our text, we we see that Jesus gives us both an invitation and a promise. We'll see it in just a minute. The invitation is inclusive, but the promise is exclusive. The invitation is inclusive, but the promise is exclusive. So let's look at it. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If anyone enters by me, anyone, that is an open invitation. This is absolutely inclusive. He doesn't mean that you and I have to meet all kinds of religious criteria, like the Pharisees would say. Anyone simply means anyone. It's much like the promise that we see in John chapter 3, verse 16, where Jesus says this. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is an invitation to all. Do you see the inclusiveness? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him, whoever, That invitation includes you. It includes me. And just in case you're not convinced yet, listen to 2 Peter 3, verse 9, where Peter says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. No, he wants everyone to repent and turn to him. That means you. You are included in this invitation. Now, if we look back at Jesus' statement, I am the door, we see that right after the invitation comes the promise. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So the invitation is inclusive, but the promise here is exclusive. The promise is only to those who actually enter through the door. Jesus is the door to eternal life. He's not just a door as if there's many doors. He's the door. And if you go through him, you will be saved. This is an amazing promise. This is an amazing promise. (laughs) You know, a big lie that our enemy deceives many people over is thinking that we've got to be good enough. That we've got to be good enough to enter this door. The truth is, none of us are good enough. How good we are has nothing to do with entering through this door. It's by the grace of God that we even have this door to begin with. And it's by our faith alone that we can enter through this door. To enter, it's Jesus plus nothing. Satan will always try to get us to think that it's Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus our works. It's Jesus plus our behavior. It's Jesus plus baptism. It's Jesus plus fill in the blank. No, the truth is, Jesus plus anything else equals slavery. It equals slavery. Jesus plus anything else is a repetitive cycle of bondage, disappointment, and failure. It's just Jesus. 
Just walk through the door by faith. He is the only door to eternal life. There is no other door. And this door is open to everyone right now. But someday it's going to close. Someday it will close. Someday salvation will no longer be available. Jesus illustrated this point when he described a homeowner shutting the door of his home, which represented the kingdom of God. And you can see this in Luke chapter 13. These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. Here's what he says. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. Then you will stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open for us. He will answer you, I don't know you or where you're from. Then you will say, we ate, it, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. Someday this door will be shut and locked, and no one else will be able to enter. That's why it's so important not to delay repentance. Today is the day of salvation. Today is, not tomorrow. We don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow. All we've got is today. So we enter through the door of salvation today. Now, the question is, how do we enter this door? How do we enter? Well, the answer is, we have to be born again. And we do this by putting our complete faith and our complete trust in Jesus. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am knocking on the door of your heart. And if you let me in, I'm going to come in and I'm going to have a relationship with you. Now, he's never going to force his way in. He's not going to knock that door down. He's not going to barge his way in. That's not how it works. But he will come in if you invite him. He's knocking on the door of your heart. The real question is, are you listening? That's the question. Do you recognize that without him, there is no forgiveness? There is no rescue. There is no hope. There is no true light, no truth, no love, no nothing. Just darkness, hopelessness, separation, and spiritual death. That's all there is without him. So let him in. Answer the door. We receive him as Lord and Savior by believing in what he did. He sacrificed his life for the forgiveness of our sins. The blood that he shed on the cross was the only way to pay the penalty for our sins. And his resurrection from the dead proved that he is who he said he was. And he's now seated at the right hand of God. And one day, he's going to return. He's going to come again. And we believe this and we follow him with our lives. That's how we enter the door to eternal life. And eternal life is not something that we receive when we die physically. Did you know that? So many people are waiting for heaven to get here as if eternal life begins at some point in the distant future. But the truth is, eternal life begins the moment that you are born again. At that very moment that you put your complete faith and trust in Jesus, that's when eternal life begins. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. It's in the present tense. Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. You've got it right now if you believe in Him. 
So to have eternal life, we have to walk through the only door that God has given us, His Son. And we do that by faith in order to have it. Now, in the very next verse of our text today, we see a radical difference in purpose between Jesus and our enemy. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Satan is our enemy. And he is who Jesus calls a thief. His purpose is to steal to kill, and to to destroy. Jesus' purpose is to give us life. And it's not just life, it's abundant life. This doesn't mean that what so many false teachers have tried to make it mean. It's not a prosperity gospel where, you know, God says that you can have all the health and wealth that you want. You can live in whatever mansion you want. And you can indulge yourself in whatever things you want to do. That is not what we're talking about here with the abundant life. No, the abundant life God gives us when we enter through this door is really about three primary things. Number one, we receive his presence. His presence alone should be enough to make us want to run to this door. Psalm 1611 says that in his presence is fullness of joy. How many of you need some joy? Man, you've got joy when you're in his presence. It's fullness of joy. Exodus chapter 33, verse 14 tells us that in his presence, he gives us rest. How many of you need rest? Oh my goodness, I need some rest. So there's fullness of joy and there's rest in his presence. Number two, we receive his provision. We saw this in verse 9 of our text, which said, After entering through the door, we will go in and out and find pasture. Pasture is what provided for the physical needs for the sheep. In the same way, God provides all we need when we enter through the door. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. It's his provision. And then number three, we receive his protection. The image of the shepherd laying across the opening of the entrance to the sheep pen helps us to see that he is the literal door to that sheep pen. He protected the sheep from any predators. Jesus is the shepherd, serving as our door to protect us from evil. So when we enter through him as the door, we receive the abundant life of his provision, his presence, and his protection. Now, there are only two ways that we can live our lives. Either we enter through the door and we follow Jesus, or we don't enter and we follow the world. Either we seek Jesus to satisfy our needs and our wants or our desires, or we seek the world to satisfy our needs, wants, and desires. There is no in-between. There is no other door. We either enter or we don't. On one side of the door is an abundant life filled with God's presence, His provision, and His protection. On the other side of the door is a life that leads to death with an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the contrast between both sides of those, that door. So now, it's time to flip our focus for just a few minutes. We just talked about Jesus as the door and entering through him that gives us this abundant life of God's presence, provision, and protection. It's the protection aspect that I'd like to stop and focus on for just a minute. A shepherd lays across the entrance of his sheep pen to protect his sheep from predators. 
He is the door to the sheep pen. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays across the entrance to eternal life to protect his sheep, you and I, from the enemy. He is the door to eternal life. But what about you? How are you serving as the door to your home? How are you protecting the sheep in your family? What are you allowing to come into your home? God has entrusted you with being the protector of your home. Our society is decaying by the minute. We need doorkeepers who are willing to lay across the threshold of their homes to protect themselves and their families from the enemy. Now, ladies, you may be a single mom. You may be, a, you may be single and not have any kids. That's okay. You're the protector of the home. You're the door of your home. You're entrusted to be that protector. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, to stay alert, to watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Are we acting as the guardian of our homes? Are we careful to seal up every crack in every window to keep the enemy and all that is evil out? What we allow through our TVs is an incredibly powerful tool that the enemy will use to exploit our home. Could you honestly stand before God today with a clear conscience about what you're watching on your TV or what you're allowing your family to watch on the TV or through the computer or through any mobile device? Are you okay with nudity being shown in your home? Are you okay with sensual activity being shown in your home? Are you okay with filthy language being listened to in your home? Are you okay with video games that glorify evil and a false reality when there is a real reality that is so much more important? Are you really okay with what is entertaining you and your family? Could it really stand up against the word of God? You know, King David said in Psalm 101, he said, I will be careful to live a blameless life. I will lead a life of integrity in my home. I will refuse to look at anything vulgar. I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. Can we say that? We absolutely cannot try to rationalize this at all. Don't even try to justify it by how good a show or a movie is when you might think to yourself, oh, there's only a little bit of this. There's only a little bit of that. If we can't watch something in front of our kids, then we shouldn't watch it at all. It's not good for them. It's not good for you either. And even if we think watching or listening to something with our kids is okay, here's the true test. Does what I allow in my home bring glory to God? Does it bring glory to God? Does it reflect righteousness? Or does it simply reflect sinfulness? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says that we are not to give the devil a foothold. We're not to give him a foothold. Every time that we allow immorality or any kind of glorification of sin in our own home, we are giving the enemy a foothold. Think about that for a minute. We're giving him a foothold. The TV can be a window straight to hell. Now, don't think that I'm just hating on TVs today. 
No, the TV is just a device, along with all the other devices that occupy our time with. It's what we allow on these devices that really matters. It's what we allow. And Satan is running rampant to get evil into our homes any way he can, and he uses our devices as a way to do that. This is serious, because we're in a spiritual war for our very souls. And we can't play patty cake with an enemy who wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. And he'll use every advantage he can to do it. That's why it's absolutely critical that we be the door to our homes. That we stand up and we say, no way, not on my watch. That's not happening. That we say to evil, in the name of Jesus, you have no dominion in my home. And then we back that up by getting rid of all the filth that doesn't glorify God. Now, men, I want to speak directly to you for a minute. God has entrusted you with being the leader of your home. You are the door to your home. And you are responsible for what is being viewed and listened to in your home. You are. And the buck stops with you. It's time we stop allowing the enemy to have free reign in our lives. It's time we put up a spiritual fight and we say, no more, you can't cross this line. It's time that we step up and be the protector of our home that God has called us to be. Because if we don't step up, if we refuse to do what is right, then sin is crouching at your door. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. God said to Cain, if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Sin is waiting for just the right moment to pounce on you and to pounce on your family. And listen, with evil, there is no mercy. There's no mercy with evil. It doesn't care about you. It doesn't care about your family. No, it just wants to dominate you. It just wants to destroy you. And it wants to do the same to your family. But you men must rule over it. And I want to show you how you can do that. And I'm going to be kicking off a five-week study just for men. And I'm calling it Warrior Brothers. It's Warrior Brothers because we are all in this fight together. It begins February 28th. It'll be Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. You're going to hear more about it. But we need to understand as men how to fight the battles that matter most in life. We need to subdue the sin that is crouching at the door, and we've got to rule over it. And in this study, in this study, it will give you the knowledge and the tools to do that and fight like men of God. I hope to see every man sign up for this and be part of this study. Now, here's a quick video to introduce this subject to you. I believe as a man, there are certain times when you have to put up a fight. There are times when it would be wrong not to fight. I believe that God created each man with the heart of a warrior. There is a time to put up a spiritual fight, a time to draw a line in the sand and say, you can't cross this line. The world has yet to see what God can do through one man, wholly surrendered unto him, You can be that man.
Does that fire you up, men? I hope so. If you've got a warrior bone in your body, it better fire you up. And men, it's time that we fight like men of God. The world is getting darker and our enemy is wreaking havoc in people's lives. For God's sake, we need to step up and we need to fight. We've got to fight back. Be the door that God has called you to be to your family. And I want to encourage you, men, sign up today. The sign-up sheet's right over there on that table. I hope to see all those names fill up on that sheet. We're going to have a good time together. It's just five weeks, guys. And I'm not asking you to read a book. I'm just asking you to show up. Okay? No excuses. (laughs) Jesus is the only door to salvation. We can only enter through this door by being born again by putting our complete faith and our complete trust in Jesus. On one side of the door is an empty life that leads only to death. On the other side of the door is an abundant life that leads to God's presence, His provision, and His protection. So how are you going to put this message into action? That's the charge. How are you going to put it into action? Which side of the door will you choose to live on? You're going to live on the one that leads to life or the one that leads to death? And how will you serve as the door to your home? As the shepherd lays across the narrow opening of the sheep pen to keep predators out, will you lay across the threshold of your home to keep evil out? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And at times it hurts. At times it hurts, Lord, because we know when we take a serious inventory, there are things in our lives that are not glorifying you. There are things in our lives that we know that we shouldn't partake of, that we shouldn't watch, that we shouldn't listen to. And at times, those things have become idols. And we know how you feel about idols. Your word says clearly that we're to put you first, that we're to love you with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul above everything else. And so I just pray today for repentance. I pray right now as a man of God, I ask for your forgiveness for where I've failed to protect my family, for where I've failed to be the door that you've called me to be. I ask for your forgiveness, Lord. And I know that your word is clear, that if I confess my sins before you, you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I know there may be other men and women here today that recognize choices they've made in the past don't line up with your word. And if that's you, Just repent. Turn to God. Ask Him to help you make this right so that you can live for Him, that you can live on the right side of the door where He wants to give you that abundant life. Maybe you're here today and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus. You know who He is. Maybe you've dabbled in it, but you've never fully committed your life to Him, but you'd like to make that decision today. If that's you, I just ask that you raise your hand so I know who you are and I can pray for you. Anyone here want to make the decision to follow Jesus today, to make him the Lord of your life? As we keep praying, we thank you, Lord, for the example that you gave us. We thank you that you are the door and there is no other. Help us to walk in victory, Lord, and to look to you for the wisdom and the guidance that we need to live a life set apart because you've called us to live holy lives. Your word tells us that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto you. For this is our spiritual act of worship. 
and that we're to renew our minds. We're not to conform to this world and follow the current of the world. So I pray right now, Jesus, give us a renewed vigor to follow you with a sense of urgency and that we would encourage others to do the same. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.